Hello friends, welcome to another walk and talk version of the Tent Talks podcast. I'm going for a little stroll and you might hear some wind, you might hear some people passing by, but I wanted to comment on the Ukraine-Russia war and I've been getting some emails and some requests of uh, from people about what I think about what's going on and I just have been going for a walk and thinking about it and thought that I would like to offer something to the people who listen to this podcast. Especially the catalyst for this was a, a, a good email I got from someone, uh, E.M. in Florida. And E.M. writes, I understand. My question is, how have you responded to the war in Ukraine? And how do you think followers of the way should respond? I understand we should pray for peace and the immediate laying down of weapons, and that such peace should not be brought about by the might of the Ukrainian military or NATO. Also, we should express our thirst and hunger for justice by our love for the displaced, widowed and orphaned people, not just in the Ukraine, but all around us, even in Russia. Yet, it is hard, and I may say unjust, to ignore the injustice and evil of Russian aggression against these peoples. What Putin is doing is desecrating Yahweh's good world and defiling his people. Therefore, I am having trouble praying for peace and the laying down of arms without praying for the defeat of the Russian beast. How do we innocently cry for Pax Christi in a state of human war? How do we pray for non-violent aggression without ignoring and desensitizing injustice? How do we hold the tensions of being anti-war and at the same time oppose Putin's evil? What does such a stance look like? No one knows when this will end, and I pray that it may be today. And the idea that this war will escalate and increase in its destruction is possible. With that in mind, what does the posture of Christ look like when peace on this earth is advocated as only being secured by national violence? Well, it's a good email, isn't it, E.M.? And I wanted to read that out in full because I thought you articulated things really well. And one of the reasons why I had to go for a walk to think about this is because it's so hard to talk about. And I think that before I even just talk about Ukraine or Russia, I wanted to just address why it's so hard for us to talk about these things. One of the reasons why it's hard is because we just haven't seen an example. We have very few real concrete examples of Christendom acting according to the way of Christ. Our minds and our imaginations just turn so quickly to instant warfare and to raising up arms against arms that have been raised against us that it becomes almost impossible to think about it or to talk about it in any way that doesn't seem offensive or baffling or downright impractical to talk about peace or non-violence in the face of violence. And I'm remembering that when Jesus gave his 
instructions, when he gave his examples, when he lived his life and said his words about not resisting evil with evil, about loving enemies, about not raising a sword against them, about putting your sword away, when he instructed his disciples not to kill their enemies, when he himself refused to kill his enemies. The enemies that he was talking about were foreign invaders. He was talking about Romans. He was facing the violence that came from foreign military aggression in his native land. And the kinds of activities that Jesus recommended, the turn the other cheek and the put your sword away and flee to the mountains and all the things that he said you should do for his followers in the face of foreign military aggression, they were baffling and offensive and impractical to the people that he was talking to. They also didn't like it. And in fact, there's a strong argument to be made for the fact that one of the main reasons Jesus was crucified in the first place was because he didn't meet the standards, he didn't meet the requirements, he didn't meet the emotional um, tenor that was being sent against him. That the people that Jesus was talking to wanted a different sort of Messiah. They wanted the nationalist Braveheart. They wanted someone to raise up arms against the very real injustice that was being meted against them. And he didn't offer that. They were baffled. They were confused. And they were offended. And as a result, one of the things that happened was that Jesus was crucified and that Barabbas the armed insurrectionist, was elevated in his place. This is just part of the historical record that we get from the Gospels. And I'm reminded that we have almost never seen followers of Jesus actually do the things that Jesus asked his followers to do. And the reason why we don't see that, the reason why we don't have a world in which peace is a practical and viable solution in the face of violence is because Christendom has just decided very quickly that it too is offended by Jesus and that it too finds his solutions or his suggestions impractical and unworkable. And we have very quickly moved to using lethal violence to solve our problems. So this is why it's hard to talk about. On the one hand, it's hard to talk about because I am keenly aware how offensive it sounds. I'm also keenly aware that I live in a place right now. You can probably hear the birds chirping. I'm in a place of local peace. The reason I can walk in peace right now down this path is sometimes because somebody somewhere disobeyed Jesus. And they also raised up arms against aggressors. Or they also moved in to foreign territory and displaced the local population using genocide. England, it's no stranger to foreign invaders. And it's foreign invaders which came into this island and settled this place. It's foreign invaders which were repelled by lethal violence. Every country on earth, especially every country on earth, that claims to be a Christian nation has its local peace because somebody somewhere 
lived a way that was explicitly against the way of Jesus. And I'm aware of that. I'm aware that I enjoy a temporary local peace right now. But it's a fragile peace. And it's a peace that was gained by the sword and can only be defended by the sword. And we're seeing something like that in Ukraine as well. And I'm just aware that how strongly this version of peace has taken over our imaginations. That we cannot imagine that peace could be had any other way. And we cannot imagine that somebody following the way of Jesus is anything other than irresponsible or leeching off of other people. And I have to face that, that there is a sense I'm holding together two things in my mind that are contradictory. One, that I do live at peace because of soldiers. And two, that that peace has been bought in a way that is the opposite of the way of Jesus. Can we just point out four things? I have four main points I want to make when it comes specifically to Russia and Ukraine. First of all, let's just face that this is a Christian nationalist shitstorm. The Ukraine is a Christian nationalist nation. It's been set up with an Orthodox Church, with Christianity and its nationalist core. What's happening with Russia is explicitly a Christian nationalist expansion or an attempt to reintegrate the Holy Orthodox Church and the lands. Putin is doing what he does explicitly for Christian nationalist reasons with the blessing of the Orthodox Church. We have the Ukraine is resisting also with Christian nationalist reasons and note all the pictures. There's a lot of pictures going around of Ukrainian soldiers lighting candles in Ukrainian cathedrals before going off to fight. Let's just recognize that what's happening right now is Christians fighting Christians, killing them for the sake of defending their Christian nation. Let's just notice that. Let's also notice that a lot of the voices that are coming out on either side are also explicitly Christian nationalists. There's no shortage of links and, and clips that I've been sent, because <laughs> my listeners keep sending them to me, of American evangelicals coming out strongly in support of Putin, explicitly for Christian nation reasons and they like the fact that he's a strong man who's defending some version of Christian civilization. You also have Christian nationalists who are coming out very strongly on the Ukrainian side, very gleefully, uh, enthusiastically endorsing the right to raise up arms and to repel the invader and to defend freedom. So you're finding a lot of American, especially American Christians, but not just American Christians, but you're finding a lot of the voices in, in the Christian world are using um, Christian nationalism as their reason for choosing a side. This is a Christian nationalist war. And we have to pay attention to that. There are many good reasons to kill. This is the other thing I want to point out. This isn't even an argument against violence. And I'm not some idiot. I'm not a fool. <laughs> Nothing I say is going to change anything. Listen, I'm not counseling anybody to do anything. I am, however, pointing out 
that of all the good reasons to kill your enemies, to defend your homeland, to murder Russians, none of them have to do with the way of Jesus. That's all we're saying. Let's just be honest. This isn't some advice for practical solutions how to deal with foreign invaders. It is simply pointing out that the practical solutions that we choose time and again when it comes to war have many good reasons. None of them have to do with following the way of Jesus. And let's be honest, how many of the people doing these actions are claiming to be Christian or claiming to defend or expand their Christian nation at the same time. So it's, it's just a lie. There's just a lot of ingrained, generational, institutional, organized disobedience, organized rebellion against the way of Jesus. And it's happening on all sides, and it's happening everywhere. So this is why, partly, it's so hard to even talk about, because the very water we're swimming in is water that has been poisoned from the start for thousands of years. It's an institutional nationalist nightmare. But Jesus's way hasn't changed. And it doesn't change, even if it doesn't work. Jesus's way hasn't changed, even if it feels emotionally bad. Jesus's way hasn't changed even if the headlines keep screaming at us all the various injustices that have been perpetuated against the Ukrainians, and they are injustices. But none of the actions that we are currently barreling towards, none of the things that we're doing, and none of the feelings we're feeling, are being shaped by the way that Jesus asked his followers to follow. Let's just be honest. And if we can't do the way of Jesus, let's admit it. If we can't bear the cross, if we can't follow in his footsteps, then let's admit it and say that we can't do it, that it's too much for us. Let's not wrap our disobedience and our rebellion and our rejection of Jesus in a Christian flag and from a bully pulpit and from a social media platform and gleefully and enthusiastically celebrate the expansion into the Ukraine or the lethal violence being meted against the Russians in defense of the Ukraine. Let's not also pretend that this is following the way of Jesus when we do these things. Let's also not pretend to ourselves that lethal violence is going to solve violence. Like I said before, there's a temporary local peace that I'm living in and that perhaps you're living in, but it's fragile, it's temporary, it was bought at great price and at great mourning and violence upon other people, it's bought on the backs of the poor. The sorts of peace that we live in, that our countries enjoy, are this peace that has come through the tears of others. And this is actually true of Ukraine, if you go back far enough. You find a lot of that happening in Ukrainian history. It's true of Russian history. It's true of American history. It's true of English, Canadian, Australian, you name it. Any Christian nation that you're trying to talk about has come because of 
earning a fragile peace at the expense of other people's pain. And the lethal violence that we use to protect ourselves might work for a short term. It might even be reasonable. It might be a practical, reliable thing to do. But it's also fragile. It's also temporary. And it isn't lasting peace. So violence doesn't solve violence. It never has and it never will. And the sorts of things that we see and celebrate now are not going to lead to real peace. Let's just be honest and tell ourselves that. What can we do about it? Well, like I said, I'm realistic. Nothing I say or do is going to change a single thing. But I am responsible for amplifying the voices that I can. I am responsible for not uh, imbibing the wrong kinds of information. I'm also aware that there are other people out there doing much better work than I. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. If you really feel you need to support somebody with, with finances, with resource, well, the Tear Fund is a, is a brilliant NGO. Give money to Tear Fund. Help Tear Fund help the Ukrainians. Lend your support to Christian groups that actively understand how violence doesn't solve violence and are already doing very good and practical work when it comes to putting Jesus's way into practice. The Red Letter Christians, run by Shane Claiborne, support them. Lend some support to Bob Ekblad and his People's Seminary. Bob and Gracie Ekblad are spirit-filled New Testament scholars who also understand that the way of peace is not going to come through the ways that the world says it does. Support Bob Ekblad if you can. Listen to his voice. Go and find the blogs and things that he writes. He is saying far better than I can the kinds of things that I want to say. Maybe you could support the Christian Peacemakers teams, which is an Anabaptist Mennonite group who believe very much that not enacting lethal violence against lethal enemies uh, isn't the same as being a pacifist. It's not the same as being passive. Christian peacemaker teams are actively in sources and places of conflict, but they are not themselves murdering other humans to solve a problem. So support the Christian peacemaker teams. And don't amplify war voices. I mentioned the, those pictures of Ukrainian soldiers lighting candles. Don't pass those around. Don't be part of the narrative which constantly uh, comes up, which is that peace can only be had when Christians kill other Christians. This is a travesty. This is not a good thing. This is part of the world we live in, but it doesn't need reinforcing. I also am aware that I amplify other voices, like I've, uh, there's some stories of Russian priests who are preaching against the war and are now being imprisoned. So we amplify those stories. There are some stories going around of Ukrainians actually serving Russian soldiers, like helping Russian soldiers, and offering a, a, a kindness to them that is offensive and baffling and extremely Jesus-centered. So we amplify those voices. We become aware of 
the strong pull of nationalist violence in our lives and how it's dominated our imaginations and we resist it. We give money, we give support, we open our homes to Ukrainian refugees who are undoubtedly the victims of a high injustice. Undoubtedly. And we also remember that there are other victims right now. There are other victims who are not having attention paid to them. Nobody cares about the war in Yemen, Syria, Congo, to name but a few. These victims of these wars are also suffering, and sometimes they're suffering even more now because all the attention is paid to other groups, to the Ukrainians. So the Palestinians are fighting a war right now of, of occupied forces. The Syrians are. In the Congo, there's unending war. See what we can do to show support for them, because part of their victimhood now is that they aren't having the attention paid to them in the same way. And again, notice the Christian nationalism that comes up here, because obviously the Ukrainians are a, a, a group of people who have injustice on them and suffering, and we need to help them. But I cannot help but notice, again, explicit, this isn't hidden, explicitly we have voices in the UK media and in the American media offering preference to the Ukrainians because they're white Christian refugees. Preference to people who share uh, our colour, <laughs> people who share our culture, and trying to bar other refugees because they don't have the right skin colour or the right religion and showing preference to Ukrainians because they're the right sort of victim. And that too is part of the Christian nationalist nightmare that we're in. So show solidarity with victims, all victims. Pour resources into voices that are actually doing something and are aware of the temptation and the attraction of nationalist violence and are doing something against it. Don't amplify the voices that are perpetuating that age-old mantra that we can only fight our invaders with a gun. And there aren't a whole lot of extremely practical solutions that I can give right now, largely because we don't live in a world which is set up to do that. Like I said, there are groups out there, Red Letter Christians, Christian Peacemaker Teams and others, who are doing something about this. But we need more of them. And before we need more of them, we need to recognize why we don't have any right now. That we live in a world which the Christian world does not like the way of Jesus. It does not want to follow the way of Jesus. It does not think that the way of Jesus is practical or useful or helpful. It does not really believe that his peace is the real peace. Instead, it thinks peace comes at the point of a gun. It thinks peace can only come by being a bigger strongman. And that just leads to endless cycles of violence, endless uh, expansion, endless patriotic violence. And these things will never end as long as Christians continue to despise the way of Christ. So please don't be one of them.